0: All right, so if kids are ready, they can head to reach kids. All right. These are all out of order. Sorry, guys. All right, so uh, we are still in Galatians. We are in Galatians 5 this week, and we are still <clears throat> astonished that anyone would replace the true gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would replace, sorry, that they would replace the, the true gospel with the law, with slavery, with the burden of guilt and shame, and this false gospel of trying to earn their way to God. Now, today we're looking at, um, at Christian freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ. And I think we often think of that freedom as freedom from sin, but the larger picture is that we have freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. And it's the freedom from the law that gives us that freedom from sin in the long run. And we want to embrace that freedom as followers of Christ. We want to give people that freedom. We want to protect that freedom. Um, We want to have the joy of lives that are truly free. Free from the burden of law. Free from trying to prove ourselves. Free from all of that. And that's what this passage this week is about. Um, Once again, once again, Reminding ourselves that it really has nothing to do with our works. Nothing to do with our works. Um, this series, like I don't know how, how many more different ways we can express this. Like It really is all about Jesus. It's nothing but Jesus. It's nothing about what you do. And we're going to see that once again. We're going to see the, the freedom of the Christian life, that we have total freedom from the law, total freedom from works, freedom from shame and guilt that, we come, that come with it. All right, second, we're going to see uh, what we're supposed to do with those who try to take our freedom, how we can protect our freedom from those who would try to enslave us. And finally, we're going to see what we're supposed to do with that freedom. We're supposed to use our freedom in Christ to love other people. Very simple. So let's turn to Galatians six. Or sorry, excuse me, Galatians 5, uh, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to see once again the freedom that we have from the law. This is Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. And read with me. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach to you, (coughs) but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called the freedom brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right. All right. Kind of an intense passage. Uh, We're saying once again, the freedom that we have, we don't want to lose it. Let's pray that we would understand these things. Father, we thank you for the gift of freedom in Christ. We thank you for our freedom from the law. I ask that we would live like these things are true, that this would not be uh, mere theology, uh, merely intellectual, but that we would live according to this freedom. Father, would you give us great joy? Would you fill us up with these truths that we may overflow with love for one another? Father, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. We ask that you would apply those things by the Spirit to our hearts that we may be free. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, first, Paul shows us the freedom that we have in Jesus. 5 1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All right, that is a beautiful passage. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, when we think about that freedom, we often think first of the freedom from sin, as freedom from sin. Now, that's true. We do have freedom from sin in Christ. That is another gift, but this is not that kind of freedom. This is not freedom from sin, which we, are, we, are, we have broken that enslaving power. The Spirit now gives us an ability not to only and always sin, but to actually do good to, to honor God and Jesus Christ. But it actually starts a lot, a lot earlier than that, this freedom. We have freedom from the law. And I think the, the thing that I fear is that we so talk about the freedom from sin that we actually actually abandon freedom from the law. And we condemn one another because we don't have more freedom from sin and we use the law to to condemn one another. No, you you should be more free than you are now by doing A, B, C, and D. All right, we need to start sooner and embrace the freedom from the law first. Because we've talked again and again about what the law does to us, how it enslaves us. It enslaves us to this This employer employee relationship with God, that we are constantly trying to please the one who is ultimately impossible to please. That he is holy and he is perfect and we are sinners. And the more we try, the more we realize that we cannot, we cannot do enough. We cannot make ourselves holy and perfect before the perfect God. And all we do is enslave ourselves to guilt and to shame and to failure. We're enslaved to the law, and that is not the the, that's not how we're supposed to stand in Jesus Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And Paul goes once again to the sin of the day, not the sin of the day, the law of the day, which was circumcision. Verse 2. Look, I Paul say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again. To every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. All right. So, the law of the day that, that the people were trying to keep was the law of circumcision. Now... As I was reminded by by Evan, this is hilarious. He's like, I'm glad that this is not the standard anymore, because like, otherwise evangelism would be really hard. <laughs> like, no one would want to come. All right, and it's just it's the reality. But this is that's that's what they're dealing with at the time. It could be any law. This is the law that happens to be the one. All right. Uh, now we think, okay, this is kind of a weird one. Why do we pick? Why are we picking this law of all the laws? There are thousands of laws in here. Now we wouldn't be, shouldn't be that surprised that it was circumcision that was chosen because uh, when we when we choose to become legalists and we try to prove our, our worth before God, we always choose the external things, and we always have. and we as the historical church, we choose, choose things like sex and drugs and alcohol and cussing and you know things that you could say, you could say yeah, yeah, oh, I, I cut that out of my life. I cut that out of my life. It's evident that I have done that. Uh, no one ever chooses like, hey, let's all, let's all really fight for to be perfect according to the laws of, of lust or of greed or of pride. No, we don't hold those ones up before God. And we don't use those to be legalists because then we'd all fail. All right, so just a reminder that if you kind of love those external laws and you love judging people according to them, uh, that's slavery. That's slavery to the law. All right, we can look at classic examples. All right, we look at, we look at the Amish, and they, they see the, the heart of lust, and what do they do? Like, put everyone in ugly black clothing, and, like, we'll keep that under wraps. All right, you maybe you see it in, in the churches that, like, yeah, we're all materialistic and probably in love with the world, but like there are fuzzy lines where if you cross this line, like your car is too expensive and, and you've gone off the deep end and no one knows where it is, but we all have these kind of weird judgments and, and external things that we're trying to protect ourselves from. Maybe we cut, each other, cut ourselves off from, from the world, from things that might tempt us. All right. The method by which we achieve righteousness is not by cutting off temptations. It's not by cutting off external things. We can fall into the same trap. This isn't just some weird thing like, oh, the Galatians are crazy. No, we do the exact same thing. They chose a weird law. We choose other ones. And the fear is that we become kind of like these like bland, vanilla people who are cut off from the rest of the world and who have cut off anything that might tempt us and we really just aren't free. And you can tell before the world that we have isolated ourselves that we are not free to interact with creation even. And he says, okay, in all of that, in all of this cutting off and trying to be holy and trying to be good enough, all right, you've ultimately cut yourself off from, from one thing. Paul loves these puns here, which is kind of uncomfortable, but that's what it is. Uh, one thing you are successful in, you have severed yourself from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Or right, In all of that stuff, you have not made yourself any holier. You have not protected your soul in any way. In fact, you've, you've merely cut yourself off from Jesus Christ. That if the only way to be united to Christ is by faith and grace and the Spirit, then you have no way to getting to him anymore. That's where there are these two very clear paths. It's either the law or it's by grace in Christ. And you might feel like you're doing a good job by living according to the laws, but you're cutting yourself off from Christ. This fallen from grace, we, like to, we actually use that in, in kind of pop culture. You fall in from grace. It doesn't mean you're sinning a lot. That's why we often use it like, oh, well, they went off the deep end. No, how do, you, how do you fall from grace? You stop relying upon grace. You stop relying on the gift of righteousness and you try to earn it from yourself. The good person is most likely to to fall from grace, not the rampant sinner. And that's where Paul gives us uh, the other way, the way that we can actually achieve righteousness. Verse 5, Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. All right, what is this saying? This is saying, yeah, we don't earn our own righteousness. We have put our hope in Jesus Christ, giving it to us. That starts with the vicarious righteousness given to you when you believe. That Jesus' whole perfect life is applied to you and now you stand in the perfection of Jesus Christ. That is your hope. The hope of righteousness by faith in the Spirit. And the righteousness that you're going to earn and and, and work up in this life, it's not because you're going to try hard, it's because you're going to live under that hope. And it's going to be gifted to you. Your hope to be a holy or righteous person in any form or fashion here is because going can be gifted to you in Jesus Christ. And the only hope that you have that when you stand in heaven, that you'll be righteous enough to be there, that you'll be sanctified from all sin, that you'll never sin again or fall from heaven is not because you've tried hard, but it's because your hope is in Jesus Christ perfecting you. Taking away sin forever so you might never fall and never sin again. Perfect freedom from sin. All of that happens by faith and by the Spirit. Now Paul summarizes what that means then. He says, okay, if if that's true, if it really isn't about our works, he says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It doesn't count for anything. All right, a lot of you think, okay, I, I know what that means. It means it doesn't count for anything because the, that old order has gone away. That it's not a matter of the ceremonial law anymore. It doesn't matter if I eat kosher or not. It doesn't matter if I'm circumcised or not. Those things are, bas- are, are gone. That Jesus is ushered in a new era. That's not why it doesn't matter. Not according to this passage. What Paul is saying it doesn't matter because your righteousness before God doesn't it does not a matter if your works. What you do doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. The righteous acts that you perform, they don't matter. Because you stand in Christ alone. It's nothing but Jesus that matters. And he could have said he could have picked another another law and he could say, "You know what? Murder or not murder. It doesn't matter." Because that is the reality. And I think we kind of get that because we know, oh, I couldn't possibly save myself if I were a murderer. Uh, But he could say, lust or no lust, pride or no pride, greed or no greed, selfishness or no selfishness. Being a good Christian or being a bad Christian, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is faith working through love. All that matters is faith. No, I think that makes, that makes me uncomfortable saying that. I think it makes you uncomfortable hearing it, but really, it doesn't matter. If it really is nothing but Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. Now, that is the gospel. That is the freedom that we know. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It didn't change anything in terms of where you stand before God in Christ. All right, that's an amazing freedom. And that's a freedom that I don't know I don't know if we really understand. And that is a freedom that we're constantly trying to protect and defend. People want to rob us of that kind of freedom. And that's, that's where we're going next, actually. So uh, the reality is there are people who want to enslave us again. And the most, kind of the most dangerous person who is going to enslave you, <clears throat> who do you think it is? It's you. It's you. (laughs) It's your own little heart. All right, if anyone's going to enslave you, uh, I'm less worried about... uh, Now, there's false teachers out there. They'll try to enslave you. Uh, But the one who probably is going to fight the hardest to enslave you is your own heart, your own doubts, your own guilt and shame, your own conscience saying, well, no, I can't be perfect in Christ. Look what I just did. Look who I am. And I want us to know, okay, how do we fight those things? How do we treat the one who would enslave us, those thoughts, that that heart, those emotions even? Because they will come. They'll make you doubt these things. Uh, You probably doubt them even as I say them. All right, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. It is not from Jesus. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, the, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. All right, this is how to treat. This is how to treat the enslaver. Now, first, we have to remind ourselves, okay, who hindered you from obeying the truth? All right, that's kind of a weird phrase, because we're used to obeying the law, we're used to obeying maybe our hearts, even our emotions, that those are the things that we're often used to obeying, but to obey the truth. All right, what's he trying to say in that? This is where you can know the truth, you can know the truth, but you can not be living according to it. And the truth is that you are are a perfect son before your father, that you couldn't be any more holy or righteous than you are right now standing in Christ if you put your faith in Christ. And he's saying, you know what, you can obey that truth, live according to it, live in the light of it, or you can disobey that truth. You can let your your emotions that say this isn't true rule you. You can let people who say that isn't true rule you. Or you can obey the truth. And he's saying, like, fight to obey that truth, not the law. To live under that truth. That's the first way we protect ourselves from the enslaver. All right, second. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All right good old yeast-related metaphors, you know, what more could you ask for? Um, <laughs> the reality is, if you ever have a yeasted loaf or a non-yeasted loaf, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing in between. Uh, it spreads. Now, wh- why are we talking about that? Um, essentially, this happens on an individual basis and a communal basis. First, on an individual basis, that one law that you are trying to obey it's going to destroy your whole Christian life. It's going to rob you of every freedom that you feel in Christ. And I know there's some of you who have like that one sin and you tell yourself, well, if I, if I just had victory over that one area, then I'd be a real Christian. And then I could go evangelize and then I could have confidence. I could teach people. I could lead. But you know, I still have that sin in my life. All right. That's the leaven that is polluting all of the freedom and all the joy you have in Jesus. It is leavening your whole life. It is corrupting your whole life. And the reality is, like, you will, that sin will always, you always have one sin. You'll always have, if you're honest, tons of sins. You really do need to change your method of how you stand before Christ, how you think about your identity as a Christian. It really isn't being good enough. And as long as you keep living that way, it's going to spread to everything else. Now, as a community, then, also, the legalists among us will corrupt the rest. And they'll steal, they'll steal the joy that we have in Christ. And so as long as you are still throwing the law at each other, like we will not be this kind of joyous, powerful, free congregation, this body of Christ. A little leaven leavens the whole. lump, Which means that that little bit that you see, like, you can't be content with even the littlest bit. You can't be content with saying, well, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a legalist. Like, or, or maybe in that area, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin everything. To either perfect freedom or slavery to the law. All right, uh, third, third. We need to recognize that. It's not, it's not. If we have sin, it's not us who stands condemned, it's the legalist who stands condemned. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. All right, first we recognize that as much as this person or this thought or this emotion is making you feel condemned, it is the one that's condemned. The legalist is condemned, not you in your sin. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And the judgment is upon the accuser, not upon the accused here. But, verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. All right, this is where there's a sad reality that if you live... As a really free Christian, you will be persecuted for it. Now, we've talked about this before. That those who, who are under the burden of the law, they will hate you. And they'll hate you for saying things like, well, yeah, no, I'm perfect in Christ. They'll, they'll just want to show you your sin and, and, and throw it in your face and say, no, you're a hypocrite. No, actually, you're acting like a Christian and letting your identity be shaped by the cross and not by your actions. No one wants you to act like you have perfect freedom in Christ. It's threatening, it's weird. No, they, they want you to, to toe the line. And that's where you have to choose. Okay, am I willing to be persecuted for holding to the real gospel, or am I going to be enslaved? You're going to have that real decision. And so please choose to be to be free and and maybe persecuted for it, then enslaved and robbed of joy. Alright, finally. Uh, this one is the the most graphic, of course. Uh, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Alright, this is the kill shot of Galatians. Alright, he just he just goes for it right now. Alright, with the with a circumcision-related pun, um, which is a little aggressive. Uh, basically, he says, okay, if you think you're going to be righteous by cutting pieces off yourself, keep cutting. <laughs> keep cutting, because you're not going to get there yet. You're still not perfect. And we say that, like, the, like, if your right hand causes you to sin, like, all right, then we're going to be little pieces of piles on the floor. <laughs> And he's basically saying that like, if that's really the method you want to take, then you're going to be mincemeat. That's where we don't don't toy with this stuff or say, well, you know, it's a balance. Like, no. No, if you want the law, have the law. If you want to be perfect, then you better be perfect. If you want to cut yourself off from sin, you better keep cutting until there's nothing left. And there's going to be nothing left. All right. We take every thought, every emotion, every action captive to the reality of the cross. We fight the things that would enslave us. We fight for freedom, really. You guys are too giggly over here. I know, I know, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, ultimately, there's, there's a lot of you're going to tend towards slavery. So fight for freedom. Amen? All right. Uh, now, what do we do with this freedom? We love other people. We love other people with this freedom. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right. Some of you at this point are saying, oh, well, now I get it. We have to have faith and love. Uh, it really is. It really is work. It seemed kind of extreme in those first two points. But like now we're balancing it out with a little more law. That's not what we're saying here. If that's what we think is going on, then we've totally, it's totally gone over our heads. Or it's not that it's faith plus love, and then, then we're okay with God. No, it's that once we have only faith, once we have nothing but Jesus, and we have true freedom, then that's the only way that love ever comes into the picture. That's the only way it's even possible to love. And amazingly, if we have that freedom, we will actually be able to, to keep the law in a new way, not because we have to, but because we want to. All right, so some of you are saying, well, like, but it's all the same in the end. It really doesn't matter. Just love people and and you'll be good. All right, this is the difference between uh, what we're going to talk about next week too, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. If you're still working for it, you're in the flesh. If you're really free first, you're going to be empowered by the spirit. It's going to look very different. So a way of talking about this is... uh, is being empty versus full. Being empty versus full. John Piper uses this. It's helpful. Uh, so, the life lived in the flesh, the life of, of slavery is, basically your identity is that you are empty. You are empty. There's this vacuum, and you are desperately trying to fill it with things. And when you go out into the world... You're seeing all of these things that, that you desperately need, that you want to get from other people, from other idols, from other situations in your life. You're constantly just grasping at things and, and, and sucking out things from the world. All right, this is not a recipe for loving other people. All right. So what does this look like? You, you go to work, and what do you desperately need? For, you, need you need purpose, you need meaning, you need a sense of identity. Maybe you need, you need this idol of money so that it can give you your comfort. It can give you the pleasures that you want. It can give you security in this life. And so when you head to work, like it's not about anyone but you. And the reality is, because you have no provision before God. Of course it's all about you. You are a lone wolf here. And when you go into relationships... What are you desperate for there? Maybe you're desperate for approval, for comfort, for praise, for encouragement. Maybe you're desperate for just someone to help carry the load, and you're continually taking from them and never satisfied because it's you trying to earn all of the blessings, all of the, the good things in life. Now, let's compare that, then, to the person who has been filled with the Spirit. Now, verse verse 15, we'll jump back a little bit. Um, What does a community characterized by the flesh look like? Verse 15, he describes it. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you are not consumed by one another. All right, this is a life of all these people who are legalists, who are trying to be good people. Eventually, that whole community will consume itself. Because you're all trying to take things from other people and earn things and, and work for them. All right, but the person who is really connected to this freedom, they're full, they're full and they're filled with the love of Christ. They're filled with all of these promises. They're filled with the, the grace that is lavished upon them. And when they go to work, they're not asking like, oh, I, I need security. No, they have security in Christ. They have a heavenly inheritance ahead of them. And it's freely given. They don't have to work for it. So it frees them up a little bit. And they have an identity in Christ. They recognize that there are more eternal purposes and eternal meanings than, than their work title or their the check that they take home, and they're a little more free because of that. And suddenly you're going to work not to get all of this stuff. You're actually overflowing with the things that you already have found in Christ. And maybe you're there giving people grace and giving people larger meaning and giving people larger purposes, offering people the comfort that you found in Christ. Now that is your faith, Working itself out in love. If you turn love into the work to, to justify your faith, to earn your faith, like to earn your position with God, there's no overflow there. There's nothing left to give. Let's say that you bring that into your relationship. And into your relationship, you bring in this security in who you are, knowing that that your help is in the Lord, that you are never alone, then you're not desperately for like seeking for this person. Instead, you're free to, to actually love them and to pour out your love upon them. That's what we're talking about. That's the freedom of living in the reality of Jesus Christ and that that naturally makes you want to love. It's the only way you fulfill this commandment which says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, what does that mean? It doesn't mean if you love yourself enough, then you'll, then you'll be a really nice person to everyone else. That's not what it means. Um, it doesn't mean love people as you would want to be loved. Uh, it's not terrible, but that really isn't the focus. What the real focus is, is you used to be so self-consumed naturally, and you so wanted to fill yourself up, And they're saying, you naturally did that. Now, the person who's so full of the Spirit and full of Christ, they'll actually, with that same laser focus, want to fill up other people. That you have their priorities in mind. That all of that power that was pushed towards your own selfishness now is pushed towards loving them. All right, if that's the reality, if that's what we're really called to, We need to be filled up. We need to be filled up with Jesus. We need to be filled up with the joy that we have in Christ. We need to be filled up with freedom, with faith, with truth. Are you filled with the joy that's in Christ? Are you getting filled with all the promises that are in the cross? This is not a passive Christian lifestyle. We are filling ourselves up with all of these realities. Some of you are like, well, Peter, this just means sit around and and don't do anything. No, it means pursue the promises and believe them and live according to them, live in the light of them. Amen? All right, this is exciting. I want to be this free. I know I'm not there yet. I think we all want to be this free. We want to be this joyous. We want to be these people who can pour out love upon people. Let's pursue that in Jesus Christ, not by the law. Amen. Amen? All right. Any questions? Questions. Great. <laughs> That's ominous. Norma. All right. What what would you like to not bring up? No, I, love it great. I love it for myself and I want it for other people. Right. And I love it. Right. Okay, how so? He says if there's sex there was a sexually immoral that right. was doing some pretty crazy stuff, Right. and he said, get rid put him out of the church. Right. Put him out of the right. church. You know, that's the opposite. It's the opposite. In what s in what sense do you see that as as opposite, Norma?
1: Right. 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 I know. And
0: I'm not. i know. But there, there is a okay, yeah. So what do we do with that? Yeah, we talked we talked about that uh <laughs> That's a good question, normal. What do we do with Uh, these calls to rebuke, these calls to, to in in love, uh, show people their sin and show people their... All right. The context of that, first of all, is always important. This is an unrepentant person who's saying that their sin is not sin and actually it's, it's a beautiful freedom in Christ. All right, that's where That's where, like, they're being total idiots in that situation. And what are they do- really doing? They're looking for life in this horrible relationship, and they're enslaved to that. Now, do they realize they're enslaved to that? Do they realize that they're pursuing life in, in sin and death and poison? No, they don't realize that. And that's where that person who has confused life for death, then we give them clarity. And we say, you know what, like, that's, not, that's not pursuing Christ, that's pursuing life and death. And so we're going to treat you like you are, outside of Christ, so that you repent, you come back to Christ, find your, your identity and your value and your, your joy in Him, and then you'll know real freedom. That's where the, the call to love is not just this warm, fuzzy acceptance, it really is it's very complicated to love someone. And you could have someone who looks in a very same situation, but they're enslaved to sin in a different way. They, they know what they're doing, and they're trying to fight it. And that's where that person isn't kicked out of that church. Their pers- that person is like is helped to see and given given glasses so that they might see Christ better. Um, Floyd, would you like to offer a clarification? No, just a comment. Yeah. Yes. And one of the primary reasons to administer church discipline is to restore the person. Back. Absolutely. So that is an aspect of love. Right. Yeah. About. It's it's that they might okay. be brought back to the freedom in Christ. Vengeance or anything, yeah, right, right. And that's where the call to love is going to enable us. And like, if we're filled in Christ, we're going to be enabled to make those choices wisely and well. We're not enslaved to people pleasing. We're not enslaved to condemning people and being rigid about the law because you know we just need everyone to toe the line. And we'll be able to love people in those complicated ways. Um, absolutely yeah. any other questions In, uh, yeah even yeah do, do you, like rephrase faith love? So, like retreat from creation this new murder nor does not murder contaminating so i think that would be that that whole third section is faith is how faith works through love is that the faith that we have and the belief in the the truth of what Christ has done then is expressed in love towards other people. It's that that overflow. Um, If we don't really believe that we have those things in Christ, then we can't really, we oftentimes don't offer much to other people. Does that answer your question, Evan? Somewhat? I would say that that faith naturally expresses itself in love. That it's not that it's a a special kind of faith. It's just that that's what faith does. Yeah, Yeah, Kel. How do you love someone without condoning what they're doing? How do you love someone without condoning... Right. As long as these people aren't actually anxious, like how do you love them and force them but not let them do That's a hard question. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you love someone uh without condoning their actions? Um like if you want right, to hang out right. with someone but they're doing all these drugs, it's kinda Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, there's an oddness to that question only because we are all hanging out with each other, and we don't approve of a lot of the things that each other does. <laughs> uh, so that's the reality of being in the world, that's the reality of, of your, your marriage, is that, like, you're, you're tied to this person who you don't condone a lot of things of what Justin does. <laughs> I know, I know you're not Dr. Not Justin. No, uh, but like just the, the reality is that that's, that's every relationship. Now, if it fits into the categories of someone who is enslaved to sin, who can't see their sin, who needs to know the sin that's in their life so that they might be free of it, so they might have repentance and joy and freedom from it. Uh, then it's not that we, we set, isolate ourselves so that we might not condone it. It's we, we enter in even more and enter in and, and rebuke and, and talk about these things, show them the light that's in Christ and, and challenge them to, to obey the truth and to find life in, in Christ and not in sin. Um, if it's an area of your, your special weakness... And you know you're an alcoholic, and this person like is constantly trying to give you beers. Like that's, that's probably you're probably not the best equipped for that. Uh, but no, we don't condone of anyone as who's a sinner, in their sin. But we have an abundance of grace, because otherwise we'd have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> and we wouldn't have the church. We wouldn't have anything. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But a hard sin that's gonna lead 'em to death. Right very soon. Right. And so I was hanging on your words that you were answering the question. Like, how far do you go in? Like you said, you go in further. Okay. Well most
1: people who are in that position, wanting to go in and love somebody like that, um, are afraid of getting kicked out and then isolated. And right.
0: When it's going to get you kicked out of the person's life or right right absolutely um you know I don't I don't know if we have We don't have black and white categories for that, Wendy. Um, I wish we did, that like at a certain point we love in a certain way and then we move over. Um, I think we see the reality that it's really hard to rebuke someone um, because the assumption is that you don't love them. And so that's where we both need to rebuke and we need to show the abundance of grace in Christ. Um... It's not that we we stop loving when we rebuke. It's that we we rebuke because we love them, which is incredibly difficult to do. It's incredibly hard to communicate if that means cutting they, that they cut themselves off from us as a result. Uh, we might have loved them unto their foolishness, but I wouldn't say that we failed to love them. It's complicated, Wendy. Yeah, yeah. It does require wisdom.
1: Yeah. And loving those around us, because if we didn't do what they said or we didn't follow, we were putting ourselves in grave danger and, and others too. And if we see our, our walk as a battle, more than just, you know, we're just kind of believing and walking around, that there's a different dimension there, I think. You know, when you right. tell someone to stop, like, this is a battle and, and you're, you're going to be led to death and you're safe and strong and safe and safe and safe.
0: Right, right. No, absolutely. And that's where, like, if we're all on mission and we hear that, like, I think we are, the response should be, like, thank you, that is death. Like, how could I have been so blind? Help me see Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's where we hope for, for better things than, than they cut us off, knowing that that could come. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Floyd? So you do sort of. (laughs)
1: Right, you right,
0: right. And that's where uh the freedom to love doesn't necessarily mean that other people feel loved. that doesn't mean that it's easy to know how to love. But without, without the freedom in Christ, we, we will be using people, not even having these conversations, not even thinking about it. We'll be asking, how can they love me, not how can I love them? Um, and that's the freedom that we know in Christ. And, yeah, that will allow us to to give every, uh, every sort of love, even the ones that are our most difficult to administer. So. John? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're fine other other people might <laughs> No. <laughs> we don't. Um is there any distinction between externally visible sin versus internally visible sin? Maybe there's a special category where like drugs or alcohol or certain things that could lead people to physical death and maybe that's a certain category. Okay. But looking about something like that versus hardness of heart or greed, you know in the end. Right. I would say that internal sins are more dangerous in some senses, um, but harder to identify. And um, we as a church, when we do this kind of discipline and and stuff, um, it's usually reserved for the external, um, unfortunately. But there's also like We we can't know their heart ultimately. Um, I would I would love if there were more church discipline for like the person who's constantly boasting, but it, it just wouldn't happen. You know, I don't know how it would. I, I wish it were, or the person who like is constantly bitter or gossipy. Um, those things are reflecting a heart condition that's just as destructive. Um, but it's a lot less black and white than the person who is. Left their spouse to go pursue an adulterous relationship. That's where it's like, I can see that you're doing it, and you have no repentance, and you're not moving away from it. Um, that that lends clarity to to this call that you are you're choosing death. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we ask that uh, you would help us to wrestle with these things. Father, we ask that uh, we would feel the freedom that we have from the law, and that that would give us an abundance of love for you, Jesus, and that we would overflow with that love. That we would want to, to love you and to love others who are made in your image, who represent you. And Father, for freedom we have been set free. We ask that uh, that that freedom would be a joy. And Father, um. We know that sometimes love will be difficult, but Father, we ask that we would have great joy in loving people and namely loving them in Jesus, giving them Jesus Christ, giving them a hope that is not in their own righteousness. And that's where, Father, in every rebuke, we, we don't call them to obedience. We call them to repentance and to, to look to the righteousness that's found in Christ, the hope of righteousness. Father, we thank you that We do not stand on ourselves, but we stand in Jesus Christ, nothing but Jesus, Christ alone. Would you fill us up that we may be overwhelmed and overflow with the love that's in Jesus? We pray in his name.